Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Exit Row podcast, where we discuss tools, techniques, and the kind of people that you're going to need to exit the company you started into a great retirement, one where you exit when you want, with the money you want, and a purpose, so that you're doing what you want to do with the people that you want to do them. I'm Frank Warren, racer, Keurig coffee connoisseur, and bow tie wearing exit planning ninja. And today I want to discuss a, uh, a story that I think is a parable. Uh, it's a story that takes place during the Falkland Islands War uh, uh, that uh, took place uh, from uh, April to uh, the summer of uh, 1982. Of course, down there it was uh, fall to into the winter of uh, uh, 1982 in the Southern Hemisphere. If you don't remember the war, um, uh, uh, Britain had a an overseas territory, the Falkland Islands, and they'd held this territory continuously since 1833. It's in the South Atlantic. It's a few hundred miles off the coast of uh, of Argentina. Well, Argentina, uh, up until 1833, had off and on had control of those islands. And uh, when British uh, uh, rule was established for a long period of time, uh, they were still maintaining uh, a, a, a claim of sovereignty uh, over these islands. And uh, in 1982, there were only about 4,000 people that lived in the islands and an awful lot of sheep. Uh, that was their big, that was their big uh, export, it was uh, uh, raw wool. And um, I don't know if they, if anybody down there was uh, doing anything like Harris tweed suits or, or whatever, but um, uh, but they sure had a lot of sheep. And the um, the the British defended the island uh, with a um, a very small contingent of uh, Royal Marines. There were only fifty, uh, and most of those were in Port Stanley, which was the capital of the Falkland Islands, and still is. And so. Uh, um, there have been some negotiations in recent years, and nobody had been able to arrive at a uh, uh, at a good compromise. Uh, so um, the economy was tanking in uh, in Argentina in 1982, and uh, the ruling military junta decided to distract attention. And one of the great, one of the most convenient ways for a military junta to distract attention is to uh, uh, do something uh, with some kind of a, uh, a, a military action that will uh, uh, cause everybody to like the junta and, uh, and, and rally around them. And what could be better than to make a decision to go after the Falklands? By the way, the, the Argentinians refer to them as the uh, uh, Islas Malvinas. Um, so they sent... Uh, several thousand um, uh, troops, uh, regular army, uh, marines, uh, uh, a uh, naval um, uh, air contingent, um, and um, it didn't take very long for them to uh, take control of, uh, uh, of the uh, whole overseas territory of the Falkland Islands and a few outlying areas like um, um, there's a... Um, I can't remember the name. In fact, I can't remember the name of the other island that they uh, that they that they took over. But um, so anyway, in the course of things, they had assumed that uh, the generals in Buenos Aires uh, that um, the Argentinians would be 
pretty safe in making this play for the for the uh, for the Falklands because they're eight thousand miles away from from uh, the United Kingdom, and they kind of figured that um, uh, that the Thatcher government would just fold. Well, they didn't. I mean, there were some there were some people um, uh, within the Thatcher government who weren't exactly sure whether it was a great idea. There were definitely uh, some people in the opposition who thought that it would be a waste of time and. Uh, um, but Margaret Thatcher said, I'm not going to abandon these British citizens. I'm, we're going to uh, assemble a task, uh, a task force and, and, uh, and go get them and go rescue them. And so it took a couple of weeks, but they got everything put together. And, and there's some really exciting stories uh, if you look at the history of this war. Um, but uh, one, of the, uh, one of the stories that captured my, uh, my imagination uh, and has for years is the story of the Battle of Goose Green. And Goose Green is a little hamlet. It's strategically placed near a bay uh, on one of the islands. And um, like most of the rest of the Falkland Islands, uh, there's a few people and a lot of sheep. So the, um, the Argentinians saw the, um, uh, the advantages to be had in controlling this island uh, or this uh, position and uh, sent 1,200 troops to garrison. Uh, I mean, they basically walked in and took over. There wasn't any kind of uh, any kind of resistance, and the locals didn't dare mount one uh, because it it, uh, it would have been just a, a death wish if they had. So, um, a uh, a group of paratroopers was assembled to. Um, to um, march into the area of uh, Goose Green. Uh, uh, the main unit was a 450-man contingent of uh, very professional soldiers uh, led, by, uh, uh, led by a Royal Military Academy graduate by the name of uh, uh, Herbert Green. Uh, he was a lieutenant colonel. His call sign was on the battlefield was Sunray. And so uh, they duked it out with um, with our, uh, the Argentine uh, garrison for a long time, uh, one day uh, over several days, and um, uh, and no progress was being made. The Argentinians, by the way, uh, had had very professional officers leading their troops there, but most of them were conscripts. They didn't really want to be there. Um, I mean, they wanted to be there when they got there. It was ex- the, uh, the dream of every Argentinian had been to retake the islands. But once, once the fighting started, it became less interesting to, uh, uh, to the Argentinian troops at uh, Goose Green. So, um, with no progress being made, um, Colonel Jones decided to take a group of his men and... Um, mount an attack on the nearest Argentinian gun position. And it was flatland, n- uh, nothing in the way of protection in terms of uh, f- trees or, or land features. And uh, in the course of things, um, Jones was killed. And the word came out over uh, the radio that, um, that Sunray was down. Uh, now, the wheels didn't fall off of, uh, of uh, the second paratroop regiment's uh, or battalion's um, uh, uh, efforts. Because immediately, the second in command 
for this group, and they were known as Second Para, was um, uh, immediately um, stepped into uh, Sunray's shoes and um, uh, and assured his troops that um, that everything was going to uh, to work out. That he was in um, in full command and had a full understanding of what the objectives were and that they would achieve them. Well, that night, the first night that uh, that uh, Chris Keeble, uh, Major Chris Keeble, was the was uh, in command of Second Para, he. Uh, went a distance away from his men and spent some time in prayer and then thought about what would be a good solution here. And so he decided to propose to uh, a meeting with the Argentinian officers and explain to them that they had two choices. They could honorably surrender or they would face overwhelming force that would compel them to surrender unconditionally. Now, he suggested this to his commanders who were uh, a distance away uh, and their response was he was out of his mind because they were concerned that he might be captured or the Argentinians might um, uh, might might mount a surprise attack. There were all sorts of, of negative outcomes they could see that could occur. But at the end of the day they chose to his, his uh, Keeble's superiors chose to trust the instincts of their experienced commander in the field. And remember that point, because we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. So, um, he got the meeting put together. He met with his Argentinian counterparts, and he said he gave them the two choices. And much to his surprise, they thanked him for coming and said, we'll take the surrender. Because the, the, the rank-and-file troops were demoralized, and the officers realized that they didn't have what they needed and couldn't be resupplied in order to, um, uh, in order to uh, push the, the British back. So here you have a group of 450 uh, taking over uh, a, uh, a force that is three times its size. And um, bloodshed was avoided. Um, uh, he was awarded. Um, uh, 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 I, he was awarded a, uh, a, a very high decoration. His his uh, officer, his um, his superior, the um, the late um, uh, H. Jones, also known as Sunray, uh, was awarded the Victoria Cross. So so. A great outcome occurs as a result of uh, of some some out of the box thinking. So, what are the lessons that you can uh, that you as an entrepreneur can gain from this uh, this story of the Battle of, of Goose Green of what um, uh, of what uh, Chris Keeble uh, achieved? What lessons of succession planning uh, are there for you? Well, there's three. First. If your business cannot run without you, you don't have a sustainable business. And then secondly, um, Keeble was designated not merely to take over Colonel Jones was killed, but far in advance of his being so designated, 
he'd been trained and given experience and responsibility. So merely having someone in mind to take charge means nothing if you haven't trained them, given them responsibility and empowered them and communicated their standing to others before the unthinkable happens. And then the last, the last lesson here to be learned is that when you have somebody who has that kind of talent and you develop that talent and that leadership, you need to trust the instincts of that person and give them the authority they need now, even if it means they make mistakes. Don't penalize mistakes that are made in good faith, uh, particularly when they involve uh, an attempt to innovate. If you, if you encourage somebody to, um, to think outside the box, maybe to ask why there's a box in the first place, um, to come up with creative solutions and tell them what the outcome is that you're looking for and then let them create that outcome then um, you allow them to develop confidence and they learn from, uh, from the experience that is gained in making the mistakes that they make. So um, if you don't have an organization right now that looks like that, if you don't have an organization where, um, uh, where you don't have to be there all the time for things to happen, the business, the business can run without you. If you don't have a, an, an organization that is um, where you've designated uh, successor leaders to take over in the event of you're not being there ever again, and if you don't have a business that, um, uh, in, in which you've got leaders that, you can, that you're comfortable with trusting their instincts, then uh, you can't afford to retire. And you definitely will lose out on the value of the of the uh, the value of your business uh, if you croak or stroke if you can't show up to the office anymore because you've either died or become permanently incapacitated. So um, that's where um, advisors like uh, uh, like those of us at Seabrook Wessex can be uh, a big help, and it's one of the things that really floats our boat. So think of those things. Uh, keep having fun on the road to world domination and have an outstanding day.